Friends, we began this Word of the Lord series in 1 Kings 17 with the introduction of Elijah, the cave dweller. We followed him to the widow's home in Zarephath, to his encounter with Obadiah, to the showdown on Mount Carmel, and to the still small voice on the mountaintop, to Nabus Vineyard just last week. All the while, we've heard echoes of Elijah's prophetic words to the people in 1 Kings 18. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. We've experienced the tension in 1 Kings of God allowing wicked men to lead the people, of God punishing children for the sins of the parents of God using the powerless to accomplish what the powerful were too proud or too ignorant to do. Through these stories, we learn the high-stakes, clear-cut call of the prophet. Do not waver. Honor God. The Lord of 1 Kings is one of urgency. Follow me today. Do not wait any longer. The word of the Lord will prevail with or without you. As we turn the page to Second King, the Second Kings, the same invitation awaits us, an invitation to believe through our thoughts, actions, words, and worship that the Lord is king, that God is God over and above all other gods, that the law matters in our lives. Before we hear God's word, let's come to him in prayer. God, may your word be our rule your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Christ, our utmost concern. As we receive your word this morning, may we truly allow it to impact our lives in powerful ways for the sake of your kingdom. Give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and hearts to seek you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. It looks like that's the text from last week, which is all right. Um, so I'll invite you instead um, to engage the text that's not on the screen, but I believe it's printed on your bulletin. So that begins in 1 Kings 22, which is the final chapter of 1 Kings. We'll begin in 1 Kings 22, and then we'll carry over into 2 Kings and read all of chapter 1 through verse 18. So let's begin this morning in 1 Kings 22, verse 51. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the way of his father and mother and in the waves of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshipped Baal. And provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger, just as his father had done. Second Kings chapter 1. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baal-zebub, 
the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going off to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to us, they replied, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I have a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king, and he told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My first thought after reading the text was, thanks a lot, Pastor Stephen. He would disappear for vacation on this particular week with this particular text where Elijah burns a hundred men to a crisp. Pastor Stephen, next week, gets to take Elijah up to heaven in that beautiful, familiar text. Meanwhile, I'll just be over here, sitting in the ashes of a whiny king and a hundred men. But, because I know he'll probably listen to this sermon online, I am joking, sort of. (laughs) Uh, 
I do believe that every word from God is useful for training and teaching in righteousness, and therefore it must be that even wicked kings from long ago testify to God's clear presence in this world, testify to our call to love the Lord our God with everything we've got, and testify to the consequences when we don't. King Ahaziah and his father Ahab and his mother Jezebel were all wicked in the eyes of the Lord. But we know from Scripture that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So let's pause before passing judgment. Wickedness is always obvious when you're an outsider looking in, but it's much more shifty and murky when it's found a home in you. Ahaziah served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord just as his father Ahab had done. But who do you serve? Who do you worship? Who did you learn that from? The thesis statement, so to speak, of 2 Kings is very similar to 1 Kings. In chapter 17 of 2 Kings, the Lord says, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants and prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. The message for us this morning is the same message given to the kings and to the people of Israel and Judah. How long will we waver between two opinions? How long will we proclaim that the Lord is God while serving other gods? How long will we greedily expect God's blessings without investing in the kingdom of God? How long will we enjoy the sweet revenge of the wicked before noticing the wickedness in our own selves? How long until we respect the law? How long, how long, how long? In one of my theology classes, theology means study of God, in one of my theology classes at Western Seminary, my professor often spoke about God as a holy, burning, fire love. A holy, burning, fire love. She really leaned into a vision of transformative holiness where evil things in God's presence are consumed and good things are purified while he remains the same. A holy, burning love that transforms everything, that commands respect, that has the power to create and to destroy. I love this imagery of God as a holy, burning love, not because it makes life easier or more comfortable, because it doesn't. I love this imagery because it feels true for me. It takes me back to Moses and to the burning bush. God as holy, burning love absolutely cannot be ignored, disrespected, or belittled. And you must be careful when you're dealing with fire. That was the lesson for King Ahaziah. He lived in Israel's capital city of Samaria at the time of the Lattice Fall. He asked messengers, as you heard multiple times, to consult Baalzebub, a god of prophecy whose temple could be found in the Philistine city of Ekron, to learn of his fate. King Ahaziah did not turn to the god of Israel, as Elijah makes clear three times throughout our text. Is it because there is no God in Israel, Ahaziah, that you are going off to consult Baal-zebub? Oh no, it's because you know there is a God in Israel and you do not have his favor. Rather than humble himself, Ahaziah turns to another God in another place. 
He seeks a different fate from a different God. He looks to external things instead of pursuing the personal transformation that God is calling him to. Remember with me from our text last week that God will bring disaster upon Ahaziah for the sins of his father, Ahab. And maybe Ahaziah knows this. From 1 Kings 22, this is from last week. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. King Ahaziah doesn't know if his fall is God's foretold disaster, but it's coming. He disrespects God by consulting another. Four kings in the book of First and Second Kings consult our God or other gods after some sort of injury or sickness brings them closer to death. There's Jeroboam, Ben-Hadad, Hezekiah, and today's text, Ahaziah. The only king to receive God's healing is King Hezekiah of Judah in the days of Isaiah the prophet. Here's his story from 2 Kings 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully when with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will heal you. And sure enough, 15 years are added to King Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. When he became ill to the point of death, Hezekiah went to the Lord. Hezekiah was arguably the most upright king throughout the entire first and second kings period. And it was because he spent a lifetime choosing to humble himself before God's throne that he could do so again on his deathbed. The promises found in 2 Chronicles were true for Hezekiah. In chapter 7 it reads, If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will forgive and heal their land. Those promises from Scripture are for all people, for every king, words outstretched before Ahaziah and his father before him. Ahaziah, if you humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive your sin and heal your land. Ahaziah, I want to bless you. I do not want to curse you, but I am holy burning love and no wickedness can withstand me. It is who I am. Let me love you. Let me lift you up from the pit and create a clean heart in you. But it is not Ahaziah who begs for mercy. Much like Hezekiah, it's the third captain who cries out to God. Man of God, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the, first two, consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. 
This captain's attitude showed respect for God and saved the lives of his men. Seeing that a hundred other people had died before he arrived, I'm sure there was some fear in him as well. And because actions of the heart matter to God, the captain and the others are spared. I don't know why God killed a hundred people to get King Ahaziah's attention. Maybe 150 people would have died if the captain didn't speak up. To be honest, it seems a bit unfair to me, or overly dramatic. And it reminds me of the critique many Christians have of the God of the Old Testament. God is angry. God is mean. God is merciless. Where are the second chances? So no, I don't know why those 100 lives were taken, but there are three conclusions that I draw from it. Number one, if we think that our actions don't impact the community, we're wrong. If you think your secret or public sins won't have consequences, you are mistaken. Who you are when the doors are closed really matters. Who you are in public really matters. Number two, God is not messing around. God is the one true God, and when we serve other little g gods, when we hold any idea, ability, possession, or person higher than the triune God, we are fundamentally disrespecting God. We are blatantly disobeying God, and that really matters to God. Number three, God is paying attention. I don't mean that as a threat. God is paying attention. God is not far away. God is close. And God cares about the decisions that you make. Remember, God did not do this to play games with King Ahaziah. God was not tricking the king. There were many opportunities in this text to repent. Before Elijah met with the messengers, when the king realized the messengers had spoken to Elijah, the first time, 50 men were sent. The second time, the third time, Finally, Elijah himself meets directly with King Ahaziah, and still he does not repent. God was clear with Ahaziah, and Ahaziah made the decision to turn away. His actions remind me of that Jeremiah 6 text, which we heard during our call to confession. Stand at the crossroads and look, says the Lord. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian author, once wrote this. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, those little g-gods, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. King Ahaziah was far too easily pleased, making mud pies in a slum, shaping his life around little g-gods. He did not ask for the good way, for the ancient path. He did not find rest for his soul. And there were severe consequences because the God who reigns is a holy, burning love. There have been many, many, many times in my life where my sinfulness came right up against God's holy, burning love. Times when I needed to trust God with who I am and be made new through Christ by the power of the Spirit. 
And I'm sure I will go through that process for the rest of my life because that's what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. I sifted through some of those experiences in my mind in order to share one or two with you this morning, but instead, God drew my attention to our cast iron skillet. Earlier this week, I cleaned and re-cleansed our cast iron skillet. They're really excellent tools for cooking, but they do need a little more TLC than the average pot or pan, as I'm sure many of you know. If you're familiar with how to prep and use a cast iron skillet, you know they're a little finicky. When you clean it, for example, you can't use too much soap. No soap is the best. Otherwise, it kind of settles into the pores, and your food tastes like it's been through the dishwasher uh, when you serve it. Anyway, I scrubbed the pan, the cast iron skillet, a bit with some warm water. I completely dried it on the stove so it wouldn't rust. I rubbed oil into the face of it, the sides, the handle, the bottom, and I put it into my 550-degree oven for an hour. Because this process adheres the oil to the pan and gives it a shiny look, and it's that look and that texture that gives food a really good flavor. So after the hour that it's supposed to sit in the oven, and an additional hour of sitting in the oven with the heat turned off, it was time to let it cool on the stove. So I opened the oven, I reached in, and I grabbed the handle of the skillet with my completely bare hand. This is where my parents are like really glad that I married a medical student. I immediately dropped the pan and threw my hand under cold tap water and had a silent cry because I didn't know what else to do with myself. And after a few minutes, I got an ice pack from the freezer. I sat next to my husband on the couch, and I told him what had just happened. So he took my hand, like any good medical student would, and said, yeah, that probably hurt, but you grabbed a hot skillet. Well, I mean, he has a bit of a point. You can't blame a hot skillet for being hot. My hand's okay, by the way. It healed. Uh, sometimes, I think, we tell God how to behave instead of doing the hard work of behaving ourselves. God is holy, burning love. He is going to be hot to the touch. Why do I ask God to cool down when the invitation is to align myself with his holiness and with his love? In our Psalm 105 reading this morning, you were reminded of a piece of God's story in both the Genesis and the Exodus accounts. But here again, that invitation, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Here again, the invitation from God to us from Psalm 105. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. He is the Lord our God. He is the Lord our God. Remember. God calls us to remember and to be changed. Remember the wonders God has done. Remember the judgments that were made, like with King Ahaziah. Remember the miracles that were accomplished and live in such a way that honors God. Stop wavering. Stop seeking elsewhere. Humble yourself and believe the good news that God will bring you rest as you grow more and more in his likeness. On our Ritter team, we read the book, The Leader's Journey, Accepting the Call to Personal and Congregational Transformation. There's a really good quote in there that fits here. It says, God says we have a part to play in what happens. When the world goes to hell before our very eyes, we want to place the blame elsewhere. The drug dealers, the school system, humanistic thinking, the Supreme Court, taking prayer out of schools, inept politicians. 
But God challenges that thinking. Do not look to external symptoms, God says. Look at your own life. Look at your own responsibility. Look at how you have contributed to the circumstances around you. And hear my call to the radical repentance that results in your own personal transformation. The good news is that as you consider the difficult and rewarding work of personal transformation, you do so with the God in First and Second Kings, with the God of Jeremiah, the God of Second Chronicles, the God of the New Testament. Jesus once said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. King Ahaziah's story is nothing new. There is a piece of that temptation to turn away from God in all of us. There is a desire to blame someone or something else. I invite you this morning to call that out and to pursue God's holy burning love instead. As you consider the work of God's spirit in your life, where is God calling you to personal transformation? Where is God calling us to transformation? In what ways are you or are we resisting? In what ways do we need correction, support, encouragement, or grace? Remember, God longs to bless and to love. So seek his face, and he will heal, he will forgive, he will hear. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.